This is Westside Barbell with strength and conditioning legend, Louis Simmons. Westsidebarbell.com, the strongest website in the world. Welcome to the Westside Barbell Podcast. Today we're here with Louis Simmons, John Quint. John is a newer muscular therapist, an active release therapist provider, and a functional range release uh, provider. Also here today is Chris Morang. He's an exercise physio- uh, physiologist, and he is currently uh, finishing up his research uh, and a study in accommodating resistance. Today's uh, podcast topic is on the deadlift. Louis, before we start off, can you give us the statistics on Westside Barbell and its deadlift figures? Yeah, certainly, Tom. First of all, I'd like to welcome all the audience. I really appreciate you guys um, listening in. Um, but one thing about the deadlift, you know, I'm pretty proud about our deadlift stats. It, it, to me, it's incredible. I don't think anyone in the world can match them. Um, we have had a 925 deadlift. These are all contests. 915, uh, 900, and a 900. All right. Our top, we've had 23 people over 800. The lightest being Chuck Vogelpoy pulled 816 at 220. And we also had a, a, a 198 has recently pulled 755. So our, our top five average is 890 pounds, and our top 10 is 866. Um, Lou, uh, how, how? How did you come up? Like, how did you get these guys to deadlift so much weight? Because the deadlift, in my opinion, raw, geared, it doesn't matter. The deadlift is the be-all and end-all in strength. Yeah, first of all, Tom, you need uh, two primary workouts a week, two extreme workouts. Our speed day workout is done after squats, which I'll get into, on Friday. And then 72 hours later, it's a max effort. Um, on squatting, you'll see on the squat day on Friday, it's very high volume. I'm going to list what an 800-pound squatter does. We've had 83 official 800-pound squatters, and I'm going to give an example of a 700-pound deadlifter. Now, anyone in the audience, just use a mathematical formula and adjust these weights to your own percentages. And if you read our stuff, you, you'll always see plenty of graphs where I talk about, like my plan where you go from 400 to 1,000, which happened in four years by Dave Hoff in 15. He squatted four at 19, squatted 1,005. And he followed the very same program. The entire gym follows the same program. Um, and I want to say something too, Tom, about uh, this gym. Um, this gym has gym bags. It doesn't have suitcases. Everyone that trains here, I talk about trains here. They don't visit. They don't show up every three months. I don't calculate them. I never even put Vlad's deadlift down because uh, when Vlad came, he, he got a record here at 805 deadlift, and he squatted 1105. He ended up squatting 1,250 pounds, and he did it to 925. But he'd gone back from New York for five months, so I refused to put it on my board. And I, I like to think I'm a man of honor. So we only do things in our gym. I don't talk about other things, a guy or my uncle from Tibet or something. So, um, but let's get into the speed squat if I could. Is that all right? Yep. All right. On, on Friday speed day, and we speed squat and pull. It's very high volume. An 800 squatter, or regardless if you're 1,000 or a 400 squatter, we basically do 25 lifts. Um, 80% is the average because we really go 75, 80, 85, and that's with real weight, or 50, 55, 60 with 25% band tension. I've uh, told you before why it's uh, based off 780 high qualified weightlifters from overseas. So if you look at the volume of an 800 pound squatter, at 80, just the middle weight, the middle volume, 80%, is 16,000 pounds. 
Uh, one thing after the squats, we have to talk about the squats because squats and deadlifts go together. They train the same muscles, essentially, except the hands. Mike Bridges said a sumo deadlift is nothing but a, 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 um, a squat to um, parallel with an, with an arch back. So uh, you want to rotate the bar on every wave. You know, we have three-week waves here. We'll go 50, 55, 60, or 75, 80, 85 with real weight. Uh, so on the fourth week, we switch bars. We use a safety squat bar, a bow bar, 14-inch cambered, manta ray, uh, even a zercher squat. And also we do front squats. Uh, for me, that was one of my best things because I've had back injuries and my quadriceps never worked very well, so I did a lot of front squats, although it worked heavily on my spinal rectors. Um, so after the squats, like I said, we, the guys do 16,000 pounds of squats. I don't know, Tom, you're here. I, I suppose it takes... 20, 25 minutes to the time you start warming up to the time you get the squats done, correct? And there's like five guys in a rotation, which is a little much, but this way we do it now. Um, the, the reps can be from two to five. We have five sets of five, 25 reps. 12 sets of two is 24. You could go like that. Uh, you could do eight triples. Um, the reason originally we did a small amount of repetitions to save the shoulders. Uh, you know, our lifters are already gone through a lot of stress. So two reps is a lot easier on the shoulders then um, five reps. The shoulder, the squat will kill your shoulders. Doctors tell you it's the bench press. It's not. It's heavy squatting if you're actually a heavy squatter. Um, so, okay, so after squatting, they immediately go to the speed pulls. Now, I realize the Russians, uh, they use the same volume for deadlifting, Shiko, that they do in the squat. So we started doing the same. So we do 20 strength, uh, we do 20 strength speed pulls. If you look at a 700-pound squatter, uh, I mean deadlifter, I'm sorry, He'll use 50% uh, bar weight, 30% band. Or he, or if that's as 80%, it comes to 80%, or 560. So if you look at um, 560 times 20, it's 12,800 pounds. So now we've done all, we've done uh, 28,800 pounds. Then it's followed by a minimum of 40,000 pounds of reverse hypers. So volume seems to be hugely important. Volume is the key to everything. How does one go from 400 squat to five? From five to 550, 550 to six. Just looking back in anyone's career, uh, let's say the bench press. When the kid's benching 200, how do you get to three? You had to do more work. How do you go from three to four? And when they do 40, look at the 300 bench, you think you don't do anything. So uh, volume progressively goes uh, higher and higher, year in, year out. I call this a multi-year training system because it's exactly what it is. If you look at any high school athlete, he's in there for four years. College, most of them for four years. What's an Olympic cycle? Four years. Things must be based on uh, beginning and an end. So use an Olympic cycle. Use four years. So I don't bring a guy in here and expect what he's going to do in 8, 10, 12 weeks, as you know, Tom. I want to know what they're going to do in a year and a half or two years. And I also want one here. You're selected to come here. I've seen a lot of strong guys with no upside. They don't get any stronger. Then, so you got to be very careful what you're picking. Um, uh, but let's get back to the speed pulls. So when you do the speed pulls, they can be done either way, sumo or conventional. Remember, the bar is 50% weight, 30% band tension. Um, and um, here, uh, we're, we're on, the, on the platform, uh, we have got the, the feet. You know, we stand on the platform and pull, or we use um, stand on the platform, and, and the weights are on two- or four-inch mats. Why do we do this? It takes some leg drive away from the lifter. We have a 900-pound lifter who uh, official that was with the plates on four inches, his best pull is 815. Why is that? We took the initial leg drive away and make him use his back strength. Um, so that's how we absolutely do it like that. Or we stand on a two or four inch match and do our pulls. Any questions so far about this? 
so you see that uh, basically that's as close as we come to doing a regular deadlift. We literally never do a regular deadlift in this gym. Real weight on the floor, we just don't do it. Uh, it's too psychologically damaging if you miss. So um, um, another method that we use on Speed Day Tom, um, uh, instead of doing the speed pulls on the floor, we do rack pulls. So now, uh, you know, uh, we pull with the plates uh, basically four and a half or six and a half inches off the ground. That way we got maximum band tension at the start. Uh, the band tension is, um, uh, for if you're lighter lift, it could be 170, or for people to deadlift in the sevens, it's 250 or 350. All right, so we use a lot of band tension. Um, and, uh, what's the difference, people's asking, what's the difference between pulling in a rack versus putting the plates on mats? The difference is the bar, there's no bar flexion when the bar's in a power rack. It has zero bar flexion. And we use a deadlift bar on the floor, on the platform, but we use a, a, a power bar in the, in the racks. Uh, because, you know, you just can't use a deadlift bar, you'll destroy it. Do you, uh, do you do sumo or conventional in the rack? Rack should always be done conventional. Because if not, a sumo is nothing but a leg press in the power rack. And again, you want to do 20 lifts, uh, so it's high volume. And it's very, it's very tough, but it makes you very, very strong. And it's speed. Remember, you know, if you can do 20 lifts, how hard can it be? You, your GPP's got to be high. You got to be able to do this program because it's, it's high volume. But that's what it takes. You want to be strong. You got to work out. Do you have a, a preference, or does it, is it uh, lifter dependent on whether they lift sumo or conventional for speed, or they mix it up? Uh, all of our lifters mix it up. You know, there's a reason. There's no guy here, oh, he's built a sumo. He's built a conventional. No, you're either built a deadlift or you're not. I've noticed over the years, uh, including myself, I would have the same sticking point, conventional or sumo. It didn't matter. I mean, one might be very, very a lot higher than the other, but the sticking point was identical. Uh, it's just it's biomechanics. Um, you know, so uh, I just prefer you doing both. I, I've got a lifter in my gym right now. I won't say who. Um, I just had a, a track person, you know, just kill her in the deadlift uh, because her hamstrings and, and hips and glutes are weak, her low back. She uh, apparently doesn't pick the right exercises. So you got to pick the right exercise to work on your weaknesses. You know, and also, Tommy, after our speed squats, um, if you prefer, you can do power cleans or you could do a power snatch or any version of those um, in, with, for the lifts. Uh, the 20 lifts as just after the squats. You know, this is a, pre a preference because I know many Olympic weightlifters are listening in, and so after the squats, you got to do this. Um, you know, we're trying to get some Olympic lifters to come here right now actually to see if they can do this program, see if they can do 25 squats at an average of 80%, followed by um, 15 snatches of some type and 15 cleans of some type at, at 80%. That would be the average week. So we just want to find out if we're capable of doing it, then doing the three or four spatial exercises that we do. Uh, any question on speed? Uh, I'm going to go into spatial exercises at the very end. Uh, I know someone's going to be brought up, but uh, how fast should the bar move? Now, I know from a visual aspect, I know we can put a tendo unit on it, but now people have tendo units, and I think if you're a good coach. But if you're going to, uh, yeah, how, far should, how fast should the bar move? Definitely, if you don't have a tender unit or you're just visually watching, it shouldn't be a struggle. It is speed. You know, if it's measured, it's going to be a, about 0.8 meters to actually about one meter. I had John Stafford and a Jeremiah, Jeremiah here, and uh, as an experiment, we just worked up with a tendo, 495, and they pulled out 1.2 meters per second. I'm sure they could probably maybe pull around 585. There's an 832 in it and an 810 deadlifter. 
So uh, they do, and uh, John was very explosive at six foot. Um, basically, not a lot of athletic ability, to be honest with you, but he could jump up and touch 11'6. That's a foot and a half above a basketball rim. And how do he do it? By explosive weight training like we do here. Um, one thing I, I, I might want to talk about a little bit of form. Um, you know, when you sumo deadlift, I mean, I remember talking to Mike Bridges years ago. This one, the most incredible, strong humans I'd ever seen under 200 pounds. I, I, I rank him as number one. Uh, Mike told me, you have to drive your feet apart, arch your, of course, then arch your back and pull backwards. And that's exactly how I learned how to do this, by driving my feet apart and pulling backwards. You want your pelvic to move toward the bar as quickly as possible and your shoulders to come by the bar as quickly as possible, and that's how it's done. You know, we do a lot of chair deadlifts to, to actually instill this in the people. You have to bring that pelvic forward, the shoulders backwards, drive his feet out. But when you get in there, you have to drive your feet out before you initially start the bar off the ground or it won't work. You, you see lifter sumo, their knees cave in. Well, if their knees cave in, they can't be pushing their feet apart. So there's a little bit of checks you can do. Uh, conventional, I watch too many people stand too close to the bar. Um, and what happens is when they lift, they get to their knees, the bar will swing out in front of them. And when the bar goes over your knees, that's the most critical point for the lower back because the bar is as far away from the hip joint as possible at that position. That's why your great deadlifters, a lot of them, like big uh, Chris Spiegel here, he deadlifts 85% stiff leg, but that keeps his hip close to the bar. <coughs> now, a doctor would say, oh, you can't deadlift like that, but he deadlifts 910 or 915 like that. And so, and uh, a lot of deadlifts, if you look at the greatest deadlifters who are built to deadlift, that's how they pull. Vince Nello, John Cook, all these guys pulled like that. They, a lot of them had their heels together. It initiates a lot of hamstring and low, low back, but that's exactly how you should do it. Do not get in a power rack and do a pull in your most advantageous position at a certain position because if you lift the weight off the ground when it gets there, you're going to be bent over something. So you might as well start from that position and try to strengthen it through there and make the lift. John, from your point of view, from a, uh, I suppose from not a rehab point of view, but the movement patterns and that of people you're coming in who get injured doing deadlift, what's the main cause, do you think? Uh, I mean, it just depends on the style that they pull. I mean, a lot of it is like what Lou's saying is they have kind of a missing link in the chain that needs to be trained. And so a lot of times, let's say that, it, you know, it's like uh, iliopsoas restriction. We can start to work through that restriction to restore physiological range so that they're not, uh, so that they're able to drive their pelvis, like Lou says, into the bar to complete the deadlift. Does that make sense? But if you have a lot of restriction in that region, it's going to basically kind of break you from doing that. So you're pulling against the bar, the uh, gravity, and then also against the restrictions that you have in the uh, anterior part of your hip joints. So a lot of times, guys that I see that have a hard time finishing it out and they start to go into basically like a back extension instead of drive their pelvis through the bar, a lot of times that shows me that they probably have some sort of uh, psoas dysfunction. And I kind of look towards there and start assessing that region to see if we can make any changes and if that improves their technique. So many times you're saying, John, that a strength deficit could be cause a structural problem, not a muscular problem. Basically, they're unable to do the lift correctly, and that's why they can't lock out the weights. Correct. Basic, yeah, and it's exactly what you're saying, that if they didn't have this restriction or this barrier, they would it would just be them versus the bar and uh, – and, but instead, they're having to overcome from this dysfunction as well. So it makes it extremely hard, especially when you're trying to drive your pelvis through the bar, if that is basically getting braked by the uh, soft tissue restriction. Lou, speed, 
<coughs> will this um, help a lifter who has a, just a starting strength problems? And I mean, will that help them break inertia? Will speed work help with that, especially with bands? Absolutely. You know, there's one way to counter a sticking point is speed. No, strength's measured in time. That's Everyone's only constrained so long. So, I mean, if you can strain for three seconds, but the lifts take three and a half, you just missed it by half a second. So you, you're, you're going to have to generate a lot of force. You, you know, look at a rocket ship. If you want to go 100 miles off Earth, it don't take a lot of fuel. Uh, uh, initial force off the platform. If you want to go to Mars, it takes a tremendous amount of force off the platform. So you've got to generate enormous amount of force. Remember, you're, if you've got 500 pounds on the ground and you apply 500 grams of force, the bar's just sitting there. You have to apply enough force to carry the bar through the distance of the lift and uh, through uh, motion velocity. If not, you, you, you stall out and you miss. Um, do you prefer using bands over chains? Uh, on the platform, just use uh, bands. It's much, uh, you, know, you set the weight down on chains. Bands are greater. They just work so much better and it's so simple. Um, you know, here um, uh, on the speed day, um, our little lifters that use um well, you know, well, actually, anyone that deadlifts in the five uses 220 pound of band tension. All right, and you know, we get the 800 pound deadlifters. I use minis doubled over, and this way we got it is 220. I, for instance, use 345 pounds um, with a 220 pound of band, and for my speed sets, and I pulled 715 deadlift easy when I was 57 in a meet. I weigh 217. Uh, now, guys that are pulling the eights, they need to use monsters. If you look at KK from overseas, I've read a lot about his training. It's a whole lot like Westside. One of Pablo's books talks about um, um, West Side, Siberian Westside, and he uses 280 pound of band tension. So you know this is a freaking monster. But if you're in the, if you're pulling it up in the eights or the nines, remember you have to keep that band ratio somewhere around 30 percent of your pull. It doesn't have to be exact. Don't go nuts. I've talked to so many people. I talked about approximately 0.8 meters per second. And the, guy, and the guy said, well, sometimes you say seven and one times nine. Well, what the hell is 0.8? It's approximately. You know, so don't get go overboard with that stuff. Uh, get in there and freaking train. Um, you know, I don't want to get in a psychological barrier, but deadlift is a psychological lift. If you fail on a deadlift, uh, you know, it's the fastest lift to go up. It's also the fastest lift to stall. So it's just like a cleaner snatch. It'll fly out in the very beginning, and you're going to get stalled. And you better get smarter than that barbell or you're done. So if that thing's kicking my ass, I'm not going to go back and do it. I'm going to do all kinds of special exercises, break my records, then go to meet and do it where it counts. No one gives a damn about world records in the gym. Um, I've had, back to squatting, um, Chuck Vogelpool was the greatest pound-for-pound squatter of all time, 1180-264. Hoff took over at, uh, at, at 271 pounds. He squatted at 1210. They never did a freaking full squat in my gym. No one did full squats. Now i got guys doing full squats. I look at it as lack of confidence. It's a lack of confidence. It's not, it's not going to make you any damn stronger by putting the gear on. And we're, we're, we're gear freaks. We wear gear. And, uh, but a lot of people can't wear gear. And I've got guys, my very strongest guys cannot wear, wear gear. As Chris, you're doing an internship. You were seeing this. My strongest freaking guys can't wear gear. You know, but they have to wear gear in this gym. I, that's why they invented it. Um, for deadlifts, like you do for speed, some speed days on bench, you incorporate five, five, six, sixes, eight, eights. Could you do something like that for deadlift, or would you always stick to um, 
the doubles or ten sets of two? I believe you know, threes and fives are possible. If you look at the Russians, I, I know they don't have a lot of equipment, so they vary in repetitions. And I've had, talked to a couple, and they said to gain muscle tension. <laughs> you know, five reps got longer muscle tension. Makes sense. I mean, I, I see exactly why they do it. So, uh, and also, you have to be in better shape. You know, when you go to a meet, everybody pulls the weight in a deadlift, win the, in, in, in the gym, when they want, right, under their circumstances. It's like go, getting in a street fight, going to a bar you don't know and getting a fight. Now you're in, in, you know, you're in dangerous ground. When you go to meet, you deadlift when they want you to deadlift. You know, if you think you're going to be dead in the 6th and the meet runs late night at 7.30, you still got a deadlift. And if you don't, you're going with no deadlift and no total. So you got to be mentally tough in the deadlift. Your best deadlifters are mentally tough people. They're always a little freaky, um, you know, either totally extroverted or introverted, but they're freaks. They're freaks. I mean, at, uh, this is a compliment I'm, I'm giving these guys. I've seen you might as well have, a, you know, chest protectors for the pins in their power suit when you talk to them. And then they go out and deadly by 150 pounds and make you look like a fool. But Tommy, you've been there. You, yeah. you went to the night of living deadlift. You've seen deadlifters there. They're in another dimension. Very, very introverted. Very, very. Yeah, most. Yes. Um, when you're doing speed work, uh, what's the recovery time between sets? Uh, recovery. You, uh, well, if you're doing um, <coughs> if you're doing uh, the singles or doubles, you should easily be able to go in every minute. I mean, at this program, if you look at the squats, it's a 25 minute. At the time you warm up, you should be able to squat in 25 minutes. I mean, if you're with two or three guys, you're talking 15 minutes. I had uh, I had um, um, you know Elliot here squatted 910. I didn't work up to circa max. He made um, he had to do uh, 600 to squat nine for the first time, and he did. But he made 585 for a record and then 600 for a record. And he did it from start to finish in 25 minutes. This is maxing out. You know, and then you've got to put the set of briefs on, then later put the suit bottoms on. And we did it on the box like we always do. But 25 minutes, he had maxed out. You're not supposed to be in the gym all damn day. And then you go, but Tom, also, you know, when you pull, you go straight to the deadlift. The bar has to be set up. Don't do any warm-ups. You just got warmed up every freaking muscle in your body. So, but if you can't go in there and deadlift like me, if I couldn't go pull 345 or 220-pound a band, I got no business going to a meet. It's just a waste of time. I see too many people make too little jumps, waste their time. If you don't have to think about it, it's probably not worth doing. Like, you know, I always made a jump where I had to think about, damn, I better put some ass in this. If I just jump 50 pounds, oh, hell. Jump 50, oh, hell, who cares? But when I train with big guys. Um, a Chuck Vogelpohl tried to punk everybody out this hard safety squat bar. You know, I'd want to go a plate and a plate and a quarter, two plate, two plate and a quarter. Chuck would go, plate, what do you want, Chuck? Plate, what do you want, Chuck? Plate, what do you want? So I realized what he's trying to do. He's trying to punk everybody out. So I said, hell with this, I'll do it too. And uh, But I got my biggest records by falling right with him. He could always out-squat me, of course, he's bigger. But I made plate, 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 to change for a record and stop. You just got to man up. The damn thing's going to be hard. You're supposed to love hard things. You don't want to hate hard things. That's what max effort is, which we'll get into momentarily. Why? What makes you so strong is max effort. Um, just back in the speed, for people outside of weightlifting, just say for football players or for athletics, uh, would you have more sports-specific rest periods to mimic the game <clears throat> in between sets? Yes. You know, Tom, on our GPP tape, I believe, it shows that um, uh, two of our lifters, uh, Phil Harrington and Laura Phelps, actually, they did 10 sets of uh, doubles in the squad every 40 seconds, just like a football play. And actually, and then they went over, within 30 seconds, did six triples in the deadlift. So uh, so they did 16 basic plays on a football field. You'll, you'll seldom ever see a team had the ball for 16 straight plays. 
So this this imitates football, and you want the short rest periods. If I played rugby, I'd even shorten it up more. Um, me and John Kerr that was here, we did experiments. We did as many as 40 speed squats and 40 speed pulls and had no trouble doing it. He was a supreme athlete and me being a powerlifter. But uh, I was able to keep up with everything he did. And uh, the guy was, I mean, he had a 44-inch vertical. Would you say that shorter rest intervals help increase work capacity over time? Absolutely. You know, everybody, uh, once you take long rest periods, it's, it's a waste of time because, you know, the only way, one way to, uh, years ago, bodybuilders trained at a, a frantic pace, and they supersetted everything. They, if you don't let a muscle fully recover, you have to, some more muscle fiber has to jump in to do the set. So that's why we do it this way. You know, the only drawback I would be, and I'm so used to lifting so fast when I go to meet, seem like everything is slow motion, but that's what you got to learn. And then my guys, also they'd be irritated. So when we take uh, Circa Max, I make everybody do it at one time. So it'd slow them down because I want to duplicate the effort at a contest that you have in the gym. Because if, if you used to fly into a meet and you go to meet, oh my God, when, when's it going to start? When's it going to start? When's it going to You drive yourself crazy. Yep. So we went to do the Circa Max weights, you know, near Max. Well, it's a record on a box. We did it to the very, where they would actually slow down. It's the opposite. If you look at Russians years ago, they trained their wrestlers. International wrestlers, they'd have three day tournaments. So during the course of training, they would have, they would do matches three days in a row in training, preparing themselves for these meets. That's exercise specificity. Any question? No. About the, you're going back for next yep. Yep. Okay. Well, 72 hours later, you can do an extreme workout. And this is the very most important of all workouts, the max effort effort, max effort workout. Now, in this, this we rotate the bar each lift, each week. We constantly break a record. I have a stat. Uh, um, you know, uh, Joe here did stats for me when he did internship. And the entire <coughs> gym, now it's a private gym, but somewhere around 20 people, the entire gym broke max broke a new record on either the, um, the squat, bench, or deadlift um, at a nine over a 90% pace year in, during the year. I also brought track people in the very same thing. Also, we found out that 20% of the lifts is only with barbell and 80% spatial exercise. So that's just a few um, um, you know things to look at. This works for everything in every sport. Um, but basically, and remember, well, the squat, we use the squat for the deadlift and the deadlift for the squat. It uses you know, all the muscles, hamstrings, glutes, hips, so forth. So if you look, we always squat on a box. And if you're talking about for Mac, on, on speed day, the box is always just right at parallel. But on max every day, uh, we, seldom, we almost never use a high box. This was for teaching a new person how to squat. But here, we normally use maybe three boxes. If you train on 14, take records on a 12 or a 10. Right? I go through full range of motion. I prefer to even to change my stance into close stance. Use muscles I've never used. See, if you squat close all the time, you need to go wide. You're neglecting muscles. If you don't use all the muscles in your body, you're just missing the boat. That's why, that's why we were born with all the muscles to use them. Um, so if you look at the squat, um, it's either done, I like to primarily do max effort with real barbell weight, just like you do in a meet, or an enormous amount of band. The minimal band, band, I mean, you know, for normal people, an 800-pound squat was what we'd use for Circumax, 375 pounds, all right? But it could be as much as 640 or 700. So by doing this, it slows everything down. It makes this very, very um, uh, grueling on the, on the eccentric and the concentric phase. Uh, but I'll give you an idea. 
Now, you know, everybody says, well, I don't have all these bars. Well, you can make a few variations, but we use uh, the bars we squat with. Safety squat bar. Next week, it might be a 14-inch camber. Then they go to a bow bar. A manta ray, which sets the bar well over your shoulders. A front squat, which is actually one of my favorites. Uh, even a Zercher squat. Now, this, this lift was made by Ed Zercher, squatting with the bar on his elbows. Um, there was a prisoner back in 1966 and 67 by the name of Robert Barnett, and that's where I got this lift from. Um, he did 390 for five off the floor in the Zercher squat at 165, and by and at that point, I remember he held the American record. He started around 650, and he ended up on 675. And, and this is basically all he did. Um, now, and also, I lifted no one I never see do a hack squat deadlift. Stand in front of the bar and pull from behind you. Um, it, takes, it builds tremendous leg drive. It teaches you to drive your feet forward, which actually happens when you lift barbells off the ground because you're pulling backwards. Your feet are actually driving forward and downward. All right? And uh, I'll give you an example. I, I had to lift against this guy who was a monster, George Clark, in the early 70s. George uh, told me all he did was hack squat deadlifts. And he pulled 700 at 180. You know, he, he his rule, and world record was 710. And all he did was hack squat deadlifts. He did, and if you ever done it, when the bar um, gets up behind you, your hips fly forward. It's also good for Olympic lifting because the hips are just forcefully jammed forward as the bar goes past your your uh, your glutes. Okay, so um, that's just a, a few variations. There's a lot of ways to do this. Um, and um, so, uh, you got any questions on the squatting, Tommy? Remember, you can, a wide stance record, a close stance record. You can squat. I've had guys squat. Angelo Bertinelli trained on the six. Angelo's probably 5'2", but he trained on the six. When he came here, he had a 560 deadlift. A year later, he pulled 640. He contributed that to squatting off of a six-inch box. And I don't mean you go down there and touch. Do a drop, drop and touch like Olympic lifting. You go down, sit on the box, dead dig and manage to overcome inertia to get back up. It is tough, but it makes you brutally strong. Um, we get on the squatting exercises. Yep. You know, like I said, either real weight or enormous amount of bands. Um, and, the, and the ones that you are bad at, that's the ones you need to do. I'm going to give you people a lot of exercises. You have to narrow them down to what, Tom? Four or five? Yeah, I mean, find four or five that work for you. Rotate those. And here, how do I know a training is going good? If I break my safety squat bar, if I break a couple records, but I, I go to Mandarin and don't break it, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm missing something. Every time you, all these bars should complement each other. Every time you break a record, you should be able to break any record. I never, I never did a full squat in my freaking life. And then I, I had a shoulder replacement in 2005. Then my neck got messed up. So I could not get back in the meet to 2011. I never did a regular squat. And so at 63, I opened up at 7.30. But my neck was bad. And I was going to pass out. But how did I go from, was it, six years without doing a regular squat? No one's going to tell me you needed to do a regular squat because I'm a moron, and I was managed to do it. So so are we good with the squatting? Yeah. Okay, now let's go to rack pulls and so forth. Um, we do rack pulls in three different pins. Uh, this, we've done this basically forever. Um, the, the pins are with the plates are two and a half inches off the ground, four and a half or six and a half. All right? So, or you could, so you want to max out. I mean max out. If your record's 600 on pin three, pin three, you have to do 605. Your whole life depends on breaking this record. It's not working out. Big difference between working out and training. 
If this, if this, if you're going to be a power lifter or an Olympic weightlifter, you have to reach new horizons every time you lift. Or what the hell are you doing? You're just coasting. So you got to break a record every time. So people in my gym will pull under six. Uh, they'll use 170 pound of band tension in the rack, just like on the platform, or 250 or 350. All right. I think that's very important for all sports. Especially in the weight room, you can actually have athletes overcome a lot of mental barriers by maxing out and doing weightlifting because you're teaching them good ethics and you're teaching them drive. But a lot of stuff can be done in the weight room in a more controlled environment that's going to benefit them in the, any given sport. Right. And the more exercises you go from, the more chances you have to break records. You know, a lot of people, I watch a lot of training, it's absolute boring. You know, it's so boring. They do the same thing repeatedly. Don't break records. I heard one, I haven't broke a record in a year. I mean, well, I'd shoot myself. You know, if I didn't break a record here, I'd just shoot myself. And but if you do enough stuff, listen, make you got to be smarter than training. Like Tom, if you're having a bad day, don't go in there and challenge something that's impossible for you to break a record. Challenge something that you are kind of good at, and you break the freaking record. Don't beat your head in the ground. Um, and you you basically want to work up. Um, how we work up is, um, you know, if you've got a 500 rack pull, make it simple. You want to do three lifts. That's what you do in a contest. So. Uh, it would be big jumps. It would be, do it like this. Do 135, 2 and a quarter, 315, 405, 455, which is roughly 90% of 5. Then jump to 485, we'll say, and 505 for record and shut it down. Or go for 455 if you like, if you can. 505, 510, shut it down. When you get advanced, you're only going to break one record. <coughs> you know, everybody will smoke a weight, and then they, they're talked into taking another, right? And how many times do you see them fail? A lot. Well, it's like getting in a fight. You know, it's the punch that precedes the knockout punch. It got you on Queer Street, and then the knockout punch it puts you out. It's 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 a, that lift can take so much out of you, you can't even do the same lift again. Uh, personally, I was a very emotional lifter. Might not look like it, but when I would lift, I put everything into the second attempt. Uh, I even started out before the round system, so you know this is why I did this. But I would open up and then jump a huge on my second for a PR. I got a PR total and a deadlift record, or I got nothing. I remember to put myself on the spot. Don't be a puss. Don't go out there and don't go out there and try to just come off a freaking trophy. I never lifted only for top 10 lifts. And when I looked at top 10 lifts, I never looked at anyone below me. I only looked at people above me. And I hated them damn people. And I mean, in a way, I wanted to kick her ass so bad. And, it, and then when I did make some progress, it seemed like some new guy would jump out of the sky. There he is on top for a year or two. They wouldn't last. Like a dog fight, man. Last dog standing, the dog wins. So I, I managed to stand a long time, and I believe I did it through smart training. You okay. Said five pounds. Stick to the plan. Stick to the plan. Yeah. Right. I'd say, and you know, when you pull in the racks, like I said before, don't be afraid to bend your back because it's going to be bent. This way, it's going to happen in the real world when you go to meet. Uh, a rule of thumb: I've talked to my buddy overseas, Sakari, one of the smartest guys I know. He's got a gym to Cyclist side. I trained a lot of guys from Bull Farm and so forth. Um, we we come to the conclusion over there, and they got big-time deadlifters, that it does no good to pull over 100 pounds all over your record. If you got a 7, you're wasting your time putting pins on high pins for 8. If you pull 6, you're wasting your time pulling 7. You want to stay around 100. Olympic weightlifting, the rule of thumb, about 5% over your pulls or forms distorted. Again, you're going to change your, your body structure, your biomechanics, and we're in a very advantageous way to lock out something when you're not going to be that way if you lift the weight off the ground. Um, you know, now on the other side of this, um, 
I saw Chuck Vogel pull my gym for years. I watched him pull 1050 off pin five. So I, I guess that would be, you know, it's still just above the knee at, at best. He pulled 1050, and he pulled it pretty easy. Um, and then I know Steve Goggins did enormous heavy rack pulls. And, uh, and along with that, he did heavy leg press. Chuck basically did a lot of belt cross. But I asked Chuck one time, why do you do these extreme heavy pulls? And I do, as you will, Tom, have track people and, and people come in new, do a heavy pull. I wanted something in their hand they'd never had in their hand. It incites the central nervous system. But Chuck told me why he did these pulls. He said, I do these pulls because it teaches me how to strain. Now, I started this guy out when he was a skinny kid. And this guy became one of the strongest humans I've ever seen. And I thought to myself, well, if anyone knows how to strain, he does. But then I also thought, maybe that's how he learned how to strain. Steve, him and Steve Goggins were monsters. Their hips and back strength was just basically crazy. Um, I also asked him one time when he would use bands. What did he get out of pulling heavy weights with a ton of bands, a lot of bands? Because it's just inch by inch by inch by inch. And Chuck said that it taught him how to think while he's straining. Too many, many people, weights get hard, they get panicked and their form goes out. But Chuck could think his way, staying in body position to make the list because the barbell slowed down so much, causing greater force. That's what the force velocity curve says. Um, you know, also a lot of good mornings. Um, I want to bring up that we do a lot of good mornings. They can be uh, arch back good morning for arch leg, straight legs. They can be bent legs, bent back. They can be bent legs, arch back, all types. A lot of power, I used to do a lot of power good mornings before bands come along as heavy as 800 pounds. Just get the buttons over an arch back, get the weights out over my knees, and then come back. And it taught me how to take barbells out of the rack. Um, and as, of course, and also, because, uh, you know, you would arch out. Your butt's got to be arched out. It loads of hamstring, glutes, and hips. Everything in the back of my body has got to be activated. We see too many people here take weights out with the quadriceps. The bar's shaking. They're taking it out forward. It is absolutely, completely wrong. You have to have uh, the right muscles have to be the strongest muscles. And that's the muscles in the back of the body. You know, kind of talking about what you were talking about, Tom, with the psychological benefit of max effort. So there's reassurance when you prove to yourself that you can set a record and over time that accumulates to a very strong mental aspect and kind of directing this question towards you, Lou, why do you think that athletes of any type of sport do not implement maximal effort more? Do you think it's a lack of knowledge of the benefits <coughs> of it or fear, being afraid of failure or something like that it's absolutely the fear of it's a lack of knowledge yeah. um, I don't know if you're a football player I asked a, a big-time football coach uh, what max effort is and he could explain to me step by step the entire thing and I said do you use it in training he says no um, it makes no sense to me you know because football all you football people out there coaches and players how about a player if you only put out 95% on that tackle, that coach is setting your ass on the bench. Everything on the field is max effort. You hit a home run, it's max effort. You steal second, it's max effort. You run down a fly ball in the outfield, it's max effort. Everything is max freaking effort. Um, you, you're, the, the body, John explained why the body shuts us down and won't hurt itself. I, I, start, I, start, I started kids at 14. They're open world, champ, world record holders at 19. Open world champions in the APF, WPC, at 19. I never hurt anyone in this gym, starting 14-year-olds out, maxing out, including young girls, 16-year-old girls. 
Max them out. Do isometrics. Everything is A. But explain what, what the, the, the Goji's tendon process, why they won't get hurt. Yeah, so you have something that's called a stretch reflex, and it's basically uh, what it does is it limits, the central nervous system limits the ranges of motion that you are able to use. And a lot of times it does this for numerous reasons, but one of the reasons would be it perceives to be dangerous. A lot of the reasons why it's probably perceived to be dangerous is because you haven't trained that way. Whatever you don't have, you're not going to have things that you don't train for just because you're a human. You need to train for everything that you have. So let's say that you injure yourself on some lift. What's going to happen is the uh, mechanoreceptors are going to be more sensitive to that area, and they're probably going to start to downgrade motor unit activation unless they can be activated in a safe setting, if that makes sense. So it's a basically a protective mechanism. Your body is responding, and it's starting to shut down motor units so that you do not injure yourself, not because there is an inherent risk, but just because the last risk, the last time your body was in that particular range, it got injured. So it needs to be taken back to that range and trained in that range so that it can be taught that it is able to function in that range and function at a high level in that range. And it goes according with the myotectic reflex. Yeah, exactly. They go hand in hand. Now, one thing that I wanted to ask you, because you're talking about the psychological perspective of breaking a record each time, but there's a biological component to that too. It's basically progressive adaptation, which is a biological principle that basically means that uh, what you're doing with your training by only going up in, let's say, five-pound increments is you're progressively loading the tissues. By doing this, you're increasing, and since the, the load that is coming into the tissues is equal to or less than the load-bearing capacity of the tissues, uh, you're not injuring the tissues, but at the same time you're getting stronger, you're increasing the load-bearing capacity of the tissues at a good rate, therefore mitigating injury, right? Because if you would start to take larger and larger jumps, you may be over your load-bearing capacity and therefore injure yourself. So a lot of the people that get injured, let's say, let's say they're doing the conjugate system, and they're like, I don't do the conjugate system because the conjugate system injured me. Well, that's incorrect. What injured you is your ability to not properly manage the loads coming into your systems. Does that make sense? That's, a, that's part of the reason why it's only the five-pound increments as well. Uh, you're absolutely true. And also, we were talking a moment, John, before the podcast, you and I, about a few things. But we came up with, uh, you know, if you make 5% in the floor press or 5 pounds in the floor press, 5, five pounds a month. And so that's 60 pounds a year. Uh, you know, everybody goes 5 pounds a month is done, but 60 pounds a year is a lot. But what about, we were talking about the accumulation of 5 pounds on the incline, 5 pounds on the decline. Five pounds on the 300-pound band chest press. Uh, everything goes up five pounds. It's a tremendous accumulation of work volume, and it, but it triggers your mind to always break records. Right, and that's not just the strength component. That's also increasing the capa capacity to increase the load into your tissues, Wh which is going to further increase your ability to continue to break records. That's right. Yes, you have so, to constantly raise work capacity. Right, but at a progressive, uh, yes, at a progressive, a, and so the five-pound increments. When you're talking about maximal efforts, meaning how much you can maximally do in one effort, five pounds is a significant amount. Yeah, you know, Tom, um, you didn't bring this up, but you know, we, you know how we jump five percent in the squat for three weeks. We avoid accommodation always because we make some either jump in a weight, some other band, some other bar, right? Something constantly changes. So you got to always make these small changes. Uh, another biological law, law of accommodation. If you do the same thing repeatedly over and over, you're going to actually get worse at it. Uh, this goes right in with the speed barrier and running. People that run and run and run, pretty soon they can't run any faster. You actually start running slower. 
you'd have to stop running and do other activity. This is all the same, folks. The speed bear and and and, st and, a, ma and a you know a mini max or a sinking point. It's all the same. You could call something for running one thing and lifting for another. It's all the same. And it's again, you could beat it by psychological means. Because if you got stuck in a four or five deadlift, well, how come now you're years later you're pulling six or five? How the hell did that happen? Uh, smart training, like John said, just gradual increases the training over a long period of time systematically. Everything has to be systematically. So, <clears throat> and this is directed towards a specific population purely for educational aspect, but um, how important is it to max out on strength exercises for Olympic weightlifters, not just the clean and the snatch? Because if you think about it, the clean and the snatch, you have a deadlift, either close grip or wide grip, and then you have a squatting component, overhead squat, and then front squat. So those are four components not even getting into the jerk. So yeah. if you got to break that stuff down, so how important is it to break it down and max out that way? Well, Chris, that's a good point. It's very important. Like you said, you mean the clean to me, you got two poles, you got a front squat, and you got a jerk. So whatever you are least at that, that's what you're going to be stuck at. You might front squat 700 pounds, but if you only clean four, you're stuck with 400. If you can only jerk 350, it's down to 350 jerk. And so all those components have to go up. Uh, at the same time, how do you do it? Spatial exercise, exactly how we train the conjugate system. You know, I took this off Dr. Uh, uh, Medvedev and A.S. Primlum's recommendations for Olympic weightlifting. All my training for powerlifting comes basis from the, the standpoint of track and field or Olympic weightlifting. So you have to use enormous amount of exercise. Why? You know, we'll, we'll go back. We talked about this before. You know, at 80%, Primlum talks about 15 lifts are optimal, 20 is maximal. Well, if that's true, and we also know that you have to raise volume, how do you do more volume if you have to stop at 20 lifts? How? Spatial exercises. If you do high pulls or pulls to four different positions, close grip snatch, wide grip cleans, stand on a box, um, you, uh, pull up against pins and hold it, any damn thing you can think of. Um, all these things, if your form breaks down somewhat, it has no ill effect on an Olympic lifting technique. Because general exercise has no effect on coordination, technique, or uh, or timing. So you want to do these things because you have to bring the weakest element up. Uh, we'll get, eventually get in, like, um, you know, you do high poles for the, to help it clean. Well, then my question to you is, how, what can we do? We'll talk about this. What can we do to increase the high pole? Mm -hmm. You know, I know all football teams do power cleans. I've asked coach, what do you do for the power clean? Well, we power clean. Well, what the hell do you do to increase the power clean? We power clean. Well, that makes no damn sense. Mm -hmm. You know, we do. We break it down step by step by step. And, um, you know, so, um, yeah, it's a good point. That, But that's what you have to do. You have to do these special exercises. It builds coordination. Yep. Awkward exercises make classical exercises easy. Mm -hmm. Same reason we do box squat. Whatever you parallel with no gear, the average person I've tested, including myself over the years, whatever you parallel box squat with a dead pause like you're supposed to, you will full squat 15% more. I've tested this on women, I, not only good people, but women and men, and it's roughly about 15% more. So it's much more difficult, just, just like what you're talking about. What did Jimmy Benjamin tell you last week? It's a three-time national champion, went to the World Games, a good friend of mine since the mid-60s. He said that he did a lot of isometric holds in, in a high pin position, pull up against poles, pins, and held them. 
you, you don't see people do these things. You don't see people crawl underneath the squat bar from a bottom position and get up. Tom, you've done a lot of this. You know how gruelingly hard it is. Uh, if you can stand up from the bottom without an eccentric phase with 500, you're going to you're going to squat over 600. Is, it's very simple. And he even said he pulled as heavy as he could every training day. Who's this? Jimmy. Yeah, right. Exactly. <coughs> Max effort, man. Yep. Why did the Bulgarians train this way? You know, they're 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 singles. It's a different story, but it still cleans, right? It's poles. Yep. They did around 18 a day. It was based on the daily max, <coughs> not an all-time. If you read a lot in uh, Power and Sports by Comey, he talks about how they, they – well, also science and, and practice and strength training brings it up. About 4,000 maxes a year, but it's based on daily max. You know, as much as you could do that day. The Russians, uh, what's the system we follow, the Soviets, is around 600 new records a, a year. That's the discrepancy between the two. Uh, and, and Nam Suleiman, a lot of his training was around 35% spatial exercise, spatial poles. I've got a question for all three of you guys. and um, It's a, not a big one, but it comes up all the time. Round back versus straight back for maxing out in the deadlift. And the premise before this question is that I know we've got coaches who stop their lifters from truly getting a one rep max because they lose... The, their arch in their back, they start rounding over and they cut it off, even though the lifter or the athlete could lift 50, 100 more pounds, but because their form breaks down, they cut off the lift. Is it dangerous to lift with a round back or would you cut it off straight back? And can I, go I start? Yeah. Can I start? Uh, I want, when lifter comes in here and he, arch, he lifts with an arch back, what do I tell him, Tom? You have a weak back. Because once they, that back bends, they're done. They can't lift anymore. Um, okay, I'm going to be brief so John can talk about this because he's very good with the body. In my opinion, some of the greatest deadlifters I've ever seen lifted with round backs. And, but you have to have enormously strong abdominals. Everything starts in the stomach. you got to flex that stomach. you gotta, you got to brace off your stomach to lift the weights off the ground. So you got a strong stomach. I think the injury rate is, is basically minimal because all the top deadlifters, conventional, deadlift with a round back. Now, I'll let you take it. Well, it depends. I mean, in your, in your setting, you're dealing with power lifters. So, I mean, do you think that there is an optimal way or do you just – are you going to – Yeah, I do. Okay, so, so because then I'll touch on the athlete because, like you said earlier, when an athlete's playing, everything they're doing is a max effort. So, let's say that they're doing a max effort deadlift and their back is rounded. Well, we know probably when they go to do that max effort deadlift, right, because the deadlift something that is – that. It's basically something that everyone, like every lineman does, pretty much the same thing. So if they're rounding their back when they go to pull that, we can assume uh, that when they're, in, when they're gonna come out of the stance that they're also gonna round their back. So if that is the tendency that the athlete has, you need to train that tendency. You, you want to change the biomechanics to whatever you feel is quote unquote optimal, but you want to train that because when they're doing max effort, if they're going into a rounded back, you need to train so that it increases the load bearing capacity of the tissues that they're actually loading so then it mitigates the risk of injury, right? But I think Louis is gonna be the one that answers which way is the best way to actually lift. I'm just saying if you just have an athlete that isn't, and they're gonna, whenever they max effort, that's what they go into. Chances are, whenever they max effort in uh, whatever athletic activity they're going to do, that's probably what they're going to do. So you better train it, right? Because because if every play is a max effort and that's what they're doing, you should increase the load-bearing capacity of those tissues and then try to do whatever special exercises or whatever it is to make sure that you're starting to uh, basically nudge their form in what 
what whatever is deemed optimal. If you round the lower back, you're saying just do special exercise to fortify the lower back, of course. Correct. Um, but, but when they're doing their max pull, would you agree that you would want to train, you would still want to train the max pull because if every time that they do a maximal effort, <coughs> they go into that position, they need to strengthen that position because if they don't increase the load bearing capacity of the tissues, they're going to increase the risk of injury. I mean, I've got a track girl that all she does is stiff leg round back deadlift and she pulls 400. She's done it in a meet. Um, my my position on deadlifting, you know, conventional or actually even sumo, is to round your back to a point that as you pull, you try to straighten up your back, you extend your your knees and your hips, uh, that you can stand back up. If you round it too much, you're going to miss a little. But if you round it somewhat, you shorten the um, the lever the levers. So if you, I always round my back a little bit, and then when I start, I I pull from my shoulders, flex my knees and my hips. I used all three, you know, extensors to stand up. And uh, I've never seen anyone, you know, you get down and another point, uh, hey, your hips are too high. You got to squat down deeper and deadlift. The farther you get your freaking hips away from that bar, the harder it is to move the bar. You want to keep your hips. That's why sumo is an advantage because you got a wide stance and the hips are closer to the bar initially when you start. Um, that's why you guys that deadlift a lot conventional are almost always uh, almost stiff leg. Their hips are close to the bar initially. And as the bar comes up, their hips move forward, shoulders move backward. But uh, my point is just round your back enough that you can straighten it up. And then, you know, work on it. Like you were saying this morning, we we're talking about you doing some cleans. We believe you got to work uh, the shrug from the very beginning, not, you know, it's too late when you get to the top of the pole. Yeah. But going off of two points off of that, first, I would say, like if you're saying the coach is saying you're done because your back's starting around, but you have another 100 pounds of them, say, and if they're trying to use max effort method, it's a sub-maximal stimulus, which is really not maximal effort. So you're you're not getting the most, the appropriate amount of work for that true intensity zone. And then the second thing I would say, uh, this is just going off of personal experience, is teaching the proper positioning when they're younger. Like I, I took a kid, I started when he was 12 years old and when he was 14, he weighed 140 pounds and he sumo deadlifted 405, perfect form. I mean, I didn't have to worry about it at all. And I think it's a bigger issue that I don't really think needs to dig into yet, but um, that has to do a lot with the coaches in like middle school and beginning of high school age to where you can have someone who's a sport coach and that's great. But it's kind of ridiculous that co or high schools have to hire athletic trainers to rehabilitate athletes in high school for injuries because if you are having to hire athletic trainers to rehab athletes at that young of an age, there's obviously a problem in the training system that they're using. You know, and there's nobody there to teach them technique, uh, and I think that's the biggest missing link. Like with you, like today, I started when I did that deficit stiff leg clean grip deadlift. I started perfect back, even with like 515, I worked up to 620. My back rounded a little bit, but I know the Chinese coach says he hasn't pulled as heavy as they freaking can until their backs cannot do it anymore. Are you talking about Olympic lifting? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. He even goes so far to say he pulled until he can't get the weight off the ground. Yeah. But see, they're built. They're strong. They have no problem doing it. They've got so no... So the injury is only going to occur if you're pulling a load that is too great for the capacity of the tissues, right? So it really depends on what you're trying to do technique-wise, right? If you're trying to make someone have optimal technique because they're a power lifter, right, then I would start to work in optimal technique. But if not, if they're an athlete and they're going to go in that position, train that position. Well, a lot of athletes definitely aren't built to lift weights. So they're, yeah. they're right. going to have, 
You know, football's a funny thing. Well, I saw that big football player. He only benched two and a quarter for 20 reps. Well, yeah, but let's have a deadlift contest because you have to have long arms to play football, <laughs> long legs. They're, an they're built like an athlete. They're going to kick our ass in the deadlifts. If they've actually practiced the damn thing, they would kill us. Um, you know, it's a funny thing. I want to talk just a moment about football. Can I please? Uh, you know, I see, you know, the NFL is paying out millions and millions of dollars for concussions. You, you hear about this, right, Tom? Well, I don't under, quite understand it. And, I mean, I, yeah, you need, they need insurance or something. But if you had a, an injury three years ago, and then you, I signed you up in my insurance program, and then you said you had this injury, you know, now, but you had it three years ago, I wouldn't pay you, would I? You would not be eligible for insurance. Concussions start at 8 and 10 years old, and are sure as concussions in high school. And there are cushions in college. How come college? How come uh, Ohio State and a lot of teams aren't playing uh, millions out for concussion damage? How come they're not doing that? But if it goes in the NFL, the few people that make it. The, this is a problem that starts in the beginning. And I believe, you know, paying these athletes uh, years later after they played in the NFL is way too late. It all has to start in the very beginning. And eliminate if, but, you know, it's a risk. You gotta be, if you're a fighter, you don't get a flat nose and, and, and scar tissue. That's just the way it is. And, and so there's a risk out there. But I don't understand how the NFL, they come down on the NFL when this has happened since they were 8 and 10 years old. Well, I, it, sorry. I think that there is, we always say, but I think there should, there's a malpractice in a strength coach's point of view because it's my job to give you the best possible chance to do as good as you can in your sport. And you, you say it a lot, but when they're in high school and when they can start weight training, Look at the neck sizes. If you don't, if, if you don't have a thick neck and a thick traps, now they act as shock absorbers. And if I'm a strength coach and none of my guys have stronger necks, they got a, a stronger traps or even developed traps, well then what the hell am I doing? I, I, the owner should be brought back on the strength coach for not developing this up because they're equally to the blame as any other coach for this. What, you used to watch every time Floyd Mayweather have a big money fight. Every time you see him, he's doing neck work every time you know, to be able to absorb those punches. Yeah, and like you said, it's absorbed too, right? So we think about muscles just creating force, but they also has a, act as a breaking mechanism. So you're talking about maybe you could do eccentric and isometric type work in the neck so that when when uh, when the actually force comes into the system from someone trying to tackle you, you ha your neck has the ability to start to uh, dissipate. dissipate that force. Well, years ago, everyone did manuals. You know, every every football right. player and him and his buddy doing manuals. They had neck harnesses. Well, they did neck bridges. Well, it's, My, a, it's the same thing. I mean, I wrestled, and we did neck bridges, which are supposed to be dangerous, but I don't have it. Knock on wood, as of now, I'm 30. I don't have any <laughs> neck issues, but we were doing stuff that was deemed unsafe. Well, to me, I don't think anything's deemed unsafe as long as it doesn't over. As long as you're not loading your tissues over the capacity yeah. that they have. Trained in moderation, optimally. Right. Yeah, my friend John Sater, you know, to this day, he gets up and does five, five hundred Hindu squats right out of bed and five minutes of neck bridges. He's sixty-three years old. He's been doing it since he's eight. So, I mean, but this needs to be looked into. I'm not saying play these football players, but I think it's the wrong situation. You know, if you got a problem, you have to get it at its stem. You know, you, you just can't cut a dandelion off and go right back in your yard. you got to dig the damn thing up. This whole problem starts in 8- and 10-year-old boys. I see things on junior junior high. One year they had 21 concussions. The next year you only had 11. Big progress. They still got 11. But you know what, boys? You're going to play football. You're going to get concussions. But be prepared for it. Right. Like, it's inevitable, but you can mitigate it by, right. by using, like you guys said, special exercises that the strength coach is going to 
put in there to build up the capacity of those tissues. You know, uh, John, uh, it's always elbows and no backs and shoulders for powerlifters to put them out. But you say that we you don't see any connected tissue damage from us because we do so much work for those areas. Right, and it's following biological principles of progressive adaptation. Right. You're not loading the tissues with this force that it can't do that. Right. Does that um, make sense? Yes. Right. And ligament. So, so even if there is an injury here, like we had one injury uh, last year, the hamstring strain, right? I mean, it was a it was a grade one injury that what? How fast was Eric back to squatting? Oh yeah. Right. Right. So I mean, even the injuries that do occur here, or the injury that occurred here, right, was so minimal that we were able to uh, re rehab it very quickly, and then he was back to being able to lift. Uh, what in like six six eight weeks? At, and when we're talking lift, we're talking at a max effort. We're not talking at he's just doing basic exercises. And he is constantly on antibiotics, and I believe that might have been a lot of his problems. Right. So he's constantly on antibiotics. He's always sick for some reason. Um, okay, we move on? Yep. Now that we said our word about the NFL. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to talk about just two things. Um, you know, you talk about, we talk about danger, whatever. You know, straight leg deadlifts, a close stance. I mean, you got to learn to do these things. It's going to make you brutally strong. Strong stomach, you're not going to get hurt. One of my favorites, especially as I got older and my knees weren't very good, I did ultra-wide sumo, my feet out to the plates and a deadlift bar. And I'm only 5'5". Five five. Arched back, straight legs. That bar is so far. Your shoulders are far, so far over the bar. If you can muscle that thing and start it back towards the center of your body, you're going to become very, very strong. I mean, it, uh, you know, um, I, because my neck had a bit of a grip problem, but I managed to do 650 like this when I was 63. And I went to meet and I smoked 675 deaths because it's what I needed to total. Probably pulled right around seven. and uh, But then my neck got really bad. But that was one of my favorites. Okay? That was the first deadlift max that you had me do when I came it, here like three years ago. You even said it helped your power clean, right? Yeah. Power clean like this. Very awkward things make simple things easier. Yeah. <laughs> Lou, I just saw some stuff they've been brought up, but um, band tension at the beginning. Um, <clears throat> how important is it to have actual tension at the bottom of the lift and then it increases as you go up? Because a lot of people think, because um, obviously the resistance accommodates. It gets harder as you go up, but it doesn't start easy. Um, but just Can we talk about that just for... The deadlift, maybe touching the squat a little bit. Yeah, either squat or the deadlift time. You have to have a lot of tension in the very bottom. You know where our bands sit at the best they measured them for the deadlift. It's a hundred pound of band tension at floor level and two twenty lockout. And that's for me. I'm on five five, and uh, we measure on sumo. Now we got guys who are six foot seven, six foot nine. So I've seen. You know that's enormous amount of band tension for those guys. Uh, but you have to have tension in the bottom. The same thing in the squat. We were talking. Uh, we'll get into this discussion next week. But about um, oh, um, you know overspeed eccentrics and, and maximal eccentrics, you we use a normal a 700 pound of band. I mean the average person can't even stand up with this. It would just throw you to the ground. Um, it would just smash you to the ground. You can't even keep your legs locked. Um, so when you fight that down all the time, that's how we get enormously strong. But it's a fight down and then a sit on the box, relax, reflex, and come back up. So, um, but you had to have enormous amount of band tension. You're just wasting your time. Space, or, you know, you just use the momentum. Uh, we'll get into this about the strength curves next week and why, you know, why we do partials and so forth. But um, that's why we, you know, I, that's my point on that. You got more? Can I get it? All right. I want to finish up. We normally do three or four 
small spatial exercises at the end. Here, listen, guys. Over the years, I've had some of the smartest people I've ever seen to get trained. I've had some of the dumbest people I've ever seen train. I watched the dumb ones. I said, you wonder why you go nowhere. <laughs> and and other, it's a, why aren't I keeping up, you guys? Because when they do a small exercise, they train it as a training thing, a lift. Like, you got to do reverse hypers until you can't move. You, you can't go into two or three sets. But for us, like back exercises, primarily back, be reverse hypers, back raises, calf ham glutes, inverse curl for the hamstrings. All right. You know, up, uh, we do a ton of shrugs. Um, Tom's always had a, a inverted posture, you know. Um, and I, I noticed he started doing a lot of shrugs, mostly in the wheelbarrow. We do wheelbarrow shrugs. It's totally changed his posture. His lifts have all gone up and his damn posture's changed. And it's amazing. So we do, I suggest you do lots of heavy shrugs. It's standing and, seat, and seated. All right? As many as you can do. Use dumbbells. Use a barbell. Get in a rack, and they used to call them shoulder shrugs, which is basically almost partial deadlift, but you pick it up with your shoulders. So do anything like that you can. Um, so, um, But you want to hammer it. I mean, you want to be curled up in a ball. Years ago, Matt Dimmel, um, he wanted to trade this, and I said, you got to do what we tell you. He says, all right. So I'm making do reverse hypers, and on the way home, he'd have to stop half the time, get home and call me and cuss me out. He'd all be all balled up in the curl like a baby, you know. And, but that's the way you're supposed to do. You, it's the same way when John Quinn here would bodybuild. He would work the repetitions to failure. You have to do that. If you, and the only repetitions that work in high reps are the very last ones. The, all these, uh, because you start out using the, 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 the weakest muscle fibers, you eventually grow to the hardest. Well, we're going to talk about this next week. But that's why when you do, you do back race, you get off there when you're freaking dead. You do hybrids, same thing. We get in the bell squat. One of our favorite things is the bell squat. And we do a lot of bell squats and deadlifts in there. Um, so, uh, And we do it for time mostly, a minute at a set. Um, so you can do regular box squats in there, regular squats, overhead squats, combinations, you name it. But it's going to maximize your hips and lower back in a very high volume, like reverse hypers, but at the same time, it's actually tractioning out your back. Um, another thing we do, like I watch guys, we like, I think we figured they probably did 50,000 pounds of leg press in the plyo swing, or we do plyo jumps. It's very, very high volume, um, you know, and I believe when you walk into the gym, you walk in, you do some abs and, and reverse hypers. When you leave the gym, do some abs and reverse hypers. That'll warm you up on the way in, and it'll work as restoration on the way out. Okay? You know, if we talk about any kind of lifting, because I know everyone listens to podcasts, Olympic of power, you have to have a high degree of GPP. <coughs> uh, you, why? Because you have to recover from workout to workout. And um, so, you know, here, the average, we, we do four major workouts a week, high volume, and we do at least sm four small. Um, some guys like Silent Joe and a few guys, Probably make it maybe it six workouts a week. All right, the small ones. You go in and work on what you need. You remember when you were kids and you couldn't shoot foul shots? So you and your dad went to the playground and you shot a, a hundred foul shots. You couldn't catch ground balls, so your dad hit you a hundred ground balls. Pretty soon you're pretty good at that. That's what. That's basically the idea of all this. Uh, you got to maintain a high level of physical preparedness. Um, you know, people come here and I always talk about wanting to go to meet, and I say, man, what's good to me? Oh, I can't do that. I won't be in shape for twelve weeks. Well, we go to meet every damn week if we wanted to. And um, 
Because we max out every week. And if we break a record every week, why wouldn't we do it on the three lifts we do? Or why wouldn't an Olympic lifter do it? So you got to be in good shape so you recover. And, and you know, a lot of people forget about nutrition. Don't call me on nutrition. I got a few people you could. But you have to have a good nutrition, nutritional diet. You also need ART, massage, chiropractic, water therapy, saunas. I have infrared sauna. Um, you know, and also, last but not least, um, how do we keep ourselves in shape? I recommend sled pulls. If you want to just be in shape, we go as much. We pull sleds of basically 400 meters. All right? I'm talking guys do two or three trips with three plates on a sled. It weighs 300. Um, one of the favorites here is wheelbarrow walking. Forward and backwards. And like a rickshaw, you push it forward, you walk backwards with it. Uh, it's tremendous grip, balance, and stamina for all the muscles. And also, I know Tom's favorites walk with a stage squat bar. Um, now, you've walked a half a mile of how much? 225 pounds. 225 pounds on a stage squat bar. This is grueling. It's beating. It's just knocking the air out of your chest because it's sitting on your shoulders. You know, you see old guys. I used to see... Um, um, you know, fighters uh, carry guys around, you know. Chung Lee was one. He had a big trainer, looked like he's 250 pounds. Chung Lee would walk around the track of him on, my, on his back. But his safety squat bar is a bit better. But uh, you want to do stuff like that for GPP. You will recover, and you want to sleep well. If you do all this, you will sleep well. And if you're not, you know, find out why. So, you know, basically max, max effort is the best for improving both in, intramuscular and intramuscular uh, strength. This is a skill. But, uh, you know, but uh, it acts on this uh, CNN, uh, 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 CNS part, I'm sorry. It plays a large role in maximal strength. Um, maximal strength is determined not only by the qualities of involved muscle mass, but also the extent of which individual fibers are activated by intramuscular coordination. So you've got to be coordinated. You can't lift big weights. Um, max force is a skill. Uh, it's activate, yeah, activating uh, the many muscle groups correctly. This is, this is intermuscular coordination. And again, this is the idea behind max effort. Um, that's about all I got. If we got some questions, I'd like to answer them. Chair deadlift. How important and how influential is the chair deadlift on teaching technique? Uh, I think it's utmost. It actually works even for the clean. But I had a girl here. She had a 270 deadlift. And in two months, she pulled 350 deadlift in the 123s. Uh, it teaches you to do a chair deadlift if you do it correctly. You have to pick the bar up. What it does uh, in the sumo style, it will force your knees apart. Put your shins out forward. So the bar slides up your shins, wear, wear pants. It's going to drive your knees apart, arch the lower back, bring the pelvic forward and your shoulders backwards, do a few reps, then you have to stand up. When people fail in the deadlift, it's because their glutes fire to the rear. Right? And then they get away from the bar. This teaches you to bring your hips forward to the bar. Um, I came up with this exercise, Tom, out of you know pure mistake, as you well know. But um, I watched these Russian deadlifters. This, that 198, I can't think of his name, but it's unbelievable. Um, but when he starts, he gets in the greatest position I've ever seen. Then he somehow gets in a greater position and lifts weight off the ground. He keeps getting his hips to come forward. How in the hell does he do that? And, uh, you know, outside of being halfway pretty flexible... But I found out this chair deadlift can do it. You know, years ago, if you go way back in the late 60s at the Westside Barbell Club, um, now no one sumoed at that point. I had a friend, Carlos Looper, from Indiana, who was doing sumos in 1970. Very few people did sumo. But they would put one hand on the sacrum, 
I want him. He would start. They would push the start, you know, in and pull back and call you to arch and stand up. It loaded all the spinal rectors in the back and brought and taught you perfect form. So that's just uh, a couple of ways you can do it. I like the chair versus someone touching me because you know the guy's got to be good. He can't be too much here or too much there. So um, I'll go through some of the questions that people have asked. They're pretty random. Yeah. So, uh, what exercise would you recommend for strongman, and how would you implement the strongman event into the program? Okay, uh, my friend Sakari has four guys that pull over 900 pounds over in Finland. They're strong men. He says that they use 1,000-pound wheelbarrow pushes for what I think times is 30 feet. Is that right? 30 yards. 30 yards and a heavy yoke. Those are two things that he likes, uh, and that's what got him up. I found one thing in common for strong men when they come here. They either can't deadlift or they can deadlift a lot. Um, actually, right now, Eric um, Eric Knuckle come here was an ex-strong man. He could not deadlift freaking uh, 600 pounds at 300 pounds and so we had to work on him now he just pulled easy 770 to me and i had another guy got his pro card in about six months um i believe that the yoke carry went from 46 seconds to 19 and he did it by doing heavy rack pulls in here heavy back separate work you know a lot and also we had a guy come up remember tom i think he's here he's six foot eight strong man from vegas talked to matt brown who was yeah. made by matt getting a street fight yeah. and then um but I noticed one thing right away. They can walk backwards an enormous amount of weight. They're not too good at going forward an enormous amount of weight. Again, remember, if you've got all these muscles in your body, you must use them all. Don't neglect any of them. I think, remember, uh, John Pawson, he came up. He did a great job implementing this system into his strongman yeah. training. Uh, Louis, last time you talked about doing 6 by 6s 8 by 8s and 10 by 10 instead for bench, would you recommend the same for squatting? I suppose you could run a cycle like that. Like I said, the high reps are rough on people's shoulders. Um, but if you want to try that, be my guest. Because, But, you know, I remember uh, Bill Zeno told me that all three lifts are the difference. You have to train them differently. I've never done it in the squat. I hated high reps, period. But it definitely works in a bench. Um, you know, we get, we've got just young girls. I mean, one went from a 190 bench at Laura Phelps Mead two months ago, <coughs> just did 290 on a one board. By doing this, just bring your muscle mass up. I would try. I would give it a shot. Um, you know, so um, give it a shot. Uh, do you do speed pulls every dynamic effort workout? Every every one. It's either on the floor or it's in a power rack. It's either sumo, uh, you know, or conventional on the floor or in the rack conventional. What's the best way to improve the bench in the person who is weak at the bottom of the lift? Uh, if you're weak in the bottom. Uh, remember, your triceps have to fire initially. So a lot of tricep work and also a lot of upper back work. You have to have a foundation. The, your back is a foundation if you can't have strong lats because that's actually what even controls the bar down and up. So you have to have a very strong upper back. Learn to stretch the bar. When you snatch, you stretch the bar. When you bench press, you always try to stretch the bar apart. That will activate the triceps and get the bar off your chest. Um you talk about the importance of good mornings and how you include those in training? Uh, yes, on max effort day. You know what? For people who don't have a lot of uh, uh, gear, years ago after I would squat, I did a lot of good mornings because I didn't have a lot of gear. And uh, I would do ultra high reps after squatting, and then I did max. I, I, mean, I always did five rep max uh, in the good morning. But at 180, I did 435 for five, been over good morning. I had 670 deadlift. So we used to do good mornings, seven out of ten workouts. And uh, so I suggest people do a lot of good mornings. 
Keep the reps. Do not do a single in the good morning just unless you're massive. But here's the problem when you are massive. When you bend over, your body mass uh, thinks it is um, muscle contraction, but it's leverage. So if you're a large person, you definitely have to do more reps than a small person. If a Chris is fairly thin, if him and I did good mornings on a muscle tester, his back would be doing a lot more work than mine because he doesn't have any leverage. I lay down on my belly, and he has no belly to lay on. Uh, good mornings, too, for Olympic yeah, do uh, guys, Olympic weightlifters, and a lot of people, hook bands out in front of your squat racks or your monolift. When you take the bar, it's going to want to pull you forward. So then, good morning, and come up on your toes. Yeah, hun I mean, literally hundreds. You cannot do too many. Do not do not think of training as three sets of 10 of this, three sets of 10 of that. It does not work like that. I see it in my gym. Chris, you're here. You're seeing it. I mean, you're seeing people going nowhere, and you're seeing people make progress. We talked about that the other day. If, like, if, God forbid, let's just say I said, oh, I'm going to do three sets of 10 today. What the athletes I work with I observe is they build up in weight over the three sets. The last set is the only set that's hard for the 10 reps, and then they're done. When we said, once you get to that hard weight, then the work really starts. Right. Then you start counting reps, and then you go until the muscle says, I don't want this anymore. I'm done. And then you go and you work on something else. When I would do a good morning workout, that's what I'd done. Yeah. I worked up I got a 435 for five, and then I worked up fives all the way. Then I would go back. I dropped back to 405, then 365, and 315. And when I got down there, I added reps. And actually, at the very end, we used to do this a lot. We would do like 20 reps of 185 at the end. But it was in, inverted pyramid. Supposed to go. Uh, we'd work up and right back down. I mean, when you do good morning, you're supposed to be freaking done. You guys probably do the same thing like with really the reverse principle of that. Like you get to, you do a hard weight and you go to failure. And then do you ever like work down a weight and then you just keep going to failure? Yeah, to me, um, <clears throat> once I reach whatever is the perceived failure, that's kind of when the set begins. Yeah. And then uh, because I'm, I'm going for more hypertrophy. And so I'm having technically uh, there was a really good quote that Steve Mihalik, a bodybuilder, who actually beat Arnold uh, back in the day, but he, but he said that uh, he said the key to growth is beyond the barrier of pain. So yeah. that's kind of always stuck with me to where I get to that point. It's kind of like now I've waited all set personally for the goals that I want, and so now I'm trying to work past that point and kind of stay and thrive in that threshold instead of saying, okay, I'm done. It's kind of like, okay, I'm getting started. How long can I stay in here and take advantage of this scenario? Psychological sharpening. Our training is basically the same way, just the reputations are different. Yeah. Um, this guy's got a lifter who leg drives himself right off the bench. Any ideas? And it only happens... When the bar gets heavier than 95 percent well basically it sounds like he's pushing with his toes if his feet are out in front of him yeah george halbert and he, a lot of guys would keep their feet flat with their feet out in front of them and drive off their heels you, you should drive yourself up a bench not off the bench and uh if you're i've, I've got someone in the gym right now that constantly raises their butt off the bench has when they came here and you know tom who i'm talking about and just can't get it through the freaking head how to stop. Uh, but I, I personally, uh, I'm short. But I and Jason Coker, a lot of guys will actually leg. I'll squeeze the bench of my knees, and they keep, and there's no way I get my butt off the bench because I'm, I'm, you know, I'm leg squeezing it. So my bet, you know, and I was never a big archer, but I never could get my butt off the bench as long as I lock my legs on. You can't touch your feet on the apparatus, but you can touch your knees on that bench. 
what's the best way to program grip work into your program? Can you do it in the same day you deadlift? Yeah, of course you can. Uh, personally, I think you got to do static grip. You know, hold on to dumbbells or, or barbells as long as possible. Um, we do a lot of, you know, Eddie Cullen told me one time, you got to train your fingers. He's right. If you do wrist curls and so forth, you get very big forearms, very fat hands, and a worse grip. You got to train your fingers. So work <laughs> on finger grip. And uh, I've known a lot of fighters that would lay paper out on a table and just constantly reach out and just and squeeze it together like a spider legs. Just constantly squeeze it. But, um, you know, gi guys, anybody that does jiu-jitsu or judo or so forth, uh, gi work, you have very, very strong fingers. They hold on all the time. So I suggest all your exercise you can, use towels uh, or something like that so you hold on with your fingers and build your grip up. Uh, a lot of rope climbing, if you could do it. I know, Tom, you go outside and pull a sled with a rope. Um, Ethan does that a lot. And so anything you can do for your grip. I like battling chains. I like battling chains for my grip. And then uh, anything you can think of. I never saw grippers work very well for powerlifters. Crushing is a lot different than static grip. Would Circumax be the same if you were training for a push-pull meet? We would not do it. <laughs> We, we would eliminate the squat, you know. Uh, if we did, I mean, if we're going to take a squat, we'd do it 21 days out. If you're going to do it, just take it 21 days out. If, if you want to use it for a max effort. Our last poll, um, I, I want to bring this up about programming. Um, when we do Circumax, we take a big squat on a Friday, basically 21 days out as close as we can. Then the following Monday, they, they will take an opening deadlift with weights on mats because they can deadlift more than meat they can do that way. And then the following, then they put a shirt on that Wednesday. Then the next, so then uh, 10 days after the meet, the last thing they do, it's very hard, is the floor press. Of course, there's no shirt. So that's the, pro, that's the progress or the, the precision of how we do Circumax and bring all three lists into the contest. Um, I'm recovering from a bulging disc in my lower back. How should I return to training? Should I train the core? Absolutely. Start doing leg lifts. I might turn this over to John, but if you if you have access to reverse hyper, get on reverse hyper. I've seen reverse hyper totally change all this. A lot of ab work, a lot of uh, bent leg, leg raises, and so forth. John, I'm sure, has got a lot of uh, advice for you because he's got a lot of uh, medical. Um, yeah, I mean, I'd say get a physical assessment by someone who's qualified to do it, but if you don't have that, then you're not going to hurt yourself doing a reverse hyper, especially I would start unloaded. And then what I would do is try and get the spine to segment. And what I mean by spine segmenting is, like, if you see how a train goes over a track, and let's say that there's five cars, each car goes over one at a time, that's kind of what you want your spine to do, just very slowly. So actually the reverse hyper, how I start people off in doing that, that have that type of pathology is what I'll do is I'll have them pull their sacrum actively under and then raise their sacrum actively up and start to get spinal motion in between there, which is really therapeutic for the discs. It starts to show the spine that it can function without pain. And uh, it, there's just so many therapeutic benefits. Then what, what happens is then I'll start to load them slowly with um, ankle weights. Then it, once that becomes pain-free, then we can start to put them in the pendulum where they're gonna get some uh, traction and then just progressively start to load them from there. Um, one extra, uh, two things I'd like on a reverse hyper that's, uh, that has plates, as you can put your toes, get on the machine. If you're familiar with the reverse hyper, put your toes against the plates and then force the plates underneath the machine right. and then fight it back. It works the muscles underneath the spinal rectors. 
It's very, I mean, it blows you up. Right. And uh, also, uh, I have an older gentleman. He's 64 years old. It would was a long distance runner. Come in the gym, um, bulging this and um, uh, what the hell's he got? Uh, Sadika. Yeah. And so all, I've had him on reverse hybrid stand up abs <laughs> and pulling sleds. Pulling that sled is one of the best things you do. It rotates It rotates the sacrum every yeah, step, same thing. and there's no ground force. Walking in the belt squat, the yeah. same thing, because the, the belt squat's going to traction the hips. So if you look at the skeleton as you got the sacrum, the spine, and the skull, then everything else is uh, the hips and the arms are the uh, appendicular skeleton. It's going to traction the appendicular skeleton while the axial skeleton, which is the spine, is, is, is moving. Yes, just remember, you know, we always talk about the reverse hyper. Yeah, I came up with the thing. Uh, but the, why do we do so many reverse hypers and why do we do so many belt squats? Because it actually tracks out the spine. Yeah. We can do an enormous amount yeah. of volume. You know, it's not, you, you don't want to exercise to get the most out of you. You want to get the most out of an exercise. Yeah, and on top of it, too, another thing is once you start to get your spine segmenting, you're actually increasing the load-bearing capacity of the discs because you're actually loading them. If you think about a squat and a deadlift, let's say that you maintain spinal integrity all the way through, you're not actually getting that. You're only getting, you're not getting the segmental loading. So let's say that your spine does go one way or another. You don't have the capacity probably, and you are going to get a bulging disc, whereas the reverse hyper will, will start to train that. Uh, I want to say something too. Take some money out of some doctor's hands, but lots of people have bulging discs that don't even know it. And so, when a doctor tells you you got a bulging disc or your discs are real close in the bottom, say so what, and go get on a reverse hyper and save yourself an operation. And no one's going to tell you know what. Anyone that says you're better after your eye operate on you is lying to you. You go start cutting the body up. It's never the same. I know. I've been cut up. So there's a, smart, right. there's a smarter way to do it, and any surgery is tip is can be deadly. It can absolutely go wrong. And, and the reverse hyper is also probably the safest setting that you can put your spine in to start getting motion into it. Um, is upper body max effort uh, work important for wrestling? I would do upper body workout because a lot of wrestlers aren't really that strong with weights, you know. So uh, I know Tom, you work with fighters a lot. I would max them out, but they got to get up quick and get it over with and get into more, uh, more uh, angle strength. You know, that's what you're doing when you wrestle. You know, nothing's just laid out in front of you to pick it up. Your opponent's trying to oppose you from picking them up. So I'll say this for wrestling: Alexander Karelin was, in my mind, probably the man. Like on a daily basis, he could bench press 450 pounds on daily. So, to me, you're at a disadvantage if you don't have a strength. If, if you're weak anywhere, it's a disadvantage. Matt Coleman could be, uh, Mark Coleman could bench 450 pounds as well, he told me. So, uh, it's, yeah. it's important. I know a lot of the, the fighters, we don't do a lot, but we do. We do heavy dumbbells. We do a lot of floor presses, yeah, overhead press. But I think floor press is real good, maxing out, because it simulates someone on top of you, you push out. But, yeah, I think it's hugely important. And a lot of one-arm dumbbells. Yeah, for time and you know, alternating dumbbells with just one arm. If you do heavy dumbbells, one of them, you got to stabilize yourself. So, you know, that's and what you have to do when you wrestle. I like to do with the Russian, the seated on the ground, seated oh, overhead. Yes. Legs. Yeah, setting on, like Tommy says, set on the ground with your legs out in front of you, uh, clean a barbell, and press it overhead. It's, it's, it will build every freaking muscle in your body. <laughs> um, Victor Saltz, I want to bring up a, a gentleman who's one of the strongest humans ever lived. Uh, Primlin tra trained him. Um, a salt lift is when you're in a full squat uh, and then press a bar of your head. And he did this with 363 pounds. 
This is one strong dude. And, I mean, in a full squat position and then press that overhead. So it gives you an idea. You cannot be too strong, can't be too rich, or too beautiful. Okay. Well, this is the end of the podcast. I'd like to thank Louie, John, and Chris. We'll come back to you next week. And the next week's podcast <coughs> is going to be on the posture strength curve. And I think it's going to be very interesting for everyone to tune in. Um, I'm Tom Barry, and we'll see you guys next Monday. Thank you. This is Westside Barbell with strength and conditioning legend, Louis Simmons. WestsideBarbell.com, the strongest website in the world.